Blog Talk Radio. Alright fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women in the ring. Hello there. Hi, five fans. I guess we have a technical difficulty at the moment. Hold on for a second. We'll be right with you. If, if you can hear me, we have a... difficulty but we are here at the two minute round your hooks and jabs look at female boxing this is episode number 107 my name is felipe leon from southern california and with us like always from the inland empire of california is none other than mr david avila david how are you doing tonight very good felipe how are you good good thank you and tonight we have a very special guest he's been on the show before and he will be on the show again Usually, he always gives us good insights and sometimes even breaks news here on the show, and that is none other than former HBO Sports head honcho and now prominent promoter, Mr. Lou DiBella, who's going to be with us to tell us all about his upcoming women's boxing series, tell us who's going to be featured on that uh, on that uh, project, and also what is go on, going on with this vast female boxing stable. He has a lot of female fighters fighting under his banner, and Mr. Lou DiBella is going to tell us all about it in about 15 minutes, David. So before we go to that, and we have Mr. Lou DiBella join us, why don't we go ahead and do a little bit of the fight results from the last couple weeks. On Saturday, March 28th, uh, 20th, I'm sorry, we had a huge female boxing Saturday, starting off in London, England, on the zone, with Ramla Ali scoring a Lopsided United's decision over Bet Conley over six rounds at 126 pounds. The scores there were the score there because England is still back in the 1800s, having only the referee uh, give us a score, and it was 60-55. So the referee gave all the rounds to Ramla Ali, who was in her second professional fight. David, what did you see of Ramla Ali in this second uh, fight for her? Well, I, I saw that she was able to do whatever she wanted. But uh, I think the referee did a horrible job allowing Beck Connolly to hold and hold and hold. And because he allowed Connolly to hold, it ended up with uh, Ramla Ali getting a cut. And uh, I thought that was all on the referee. He should have deducted a point, uh, deducted another point, and disqualified her. Because holding is, is it's illegal. It's not allowed. But yet most referees allow it to go 
way too far. Now, one thing that we do need to mention, and I agree with you that, uh, you know, holding is against the rules and, and some referees allow it way too much. But one thing is that Beck Conley did take the fight in very, uh, very short notice. So you could tell in the later rounds she was a bit tired. And being that she has so much experience, she was using the holding to be able to survive um, the rounds and make it to the final decision. Now, Ramon Ali, like you mentioned, did suffer a cut in the later rounds, which is probably going to slow down her development. She's 31 years old. She has mentioned that if given the chance, she would like to uh, represent her home country of Somalia in the Olympics. So we'll see how this cut, which didn't seem all that serious, uh, changes those plans for her as well uh, as far as the Olympics and as well as uh, her pro career. She is very fluid. She has a very good chief judges distance very well. She uses her jab very well, which I'm very uh, fond of. I mean, I love fighters that know how to use the jab and use it the right way to gauge distance and keep their opponents at bay. And her foot movement is very, very advanced for a fighter with only two professional fights. So that was the first, I mean, that was one of the fights on that London, England card from the zone. The second one was Ellie Scottney scoring unanimous decision over French girl Melis Gangloff in a six-rounder at 126 pounds. Again, only the sole referee was the judge, and the scores there were 59-55. Gangloff, I believe, David, I thought that Scottney was going to take care of her fairly quickly in the first or second round. I mean, she was landing pretty much everything she threw with bad intentions. So either Gangloff has a chin of stone or Scottney doesn't hit that hard. What do you think is, what do you think is the truth there? You know, that's funny, but that's the same thing I thought. Uh, I, I really thought that uh, Gangloff was not going to last more than a round or two. And uh, she took it. So I don't know. i kind of impressed with Scottney. So I'll just say that Gangloff can take a punch because she does. Yeah. She did go with a good record. Yeah, Scottney only in her second fight as well. And I was very impressed. I mean, I, I think she's very good. If I had to choose between both Ali and Scottney, who are at the same weight class, I would go with Scottney. She's very accurate, very active throws every punch with bad intentions, and she looks very game to mix it up uh, more than Ali does. Ali's more of a boxer. She likes to stay on the outside, whereas Scottney likes to really get in there and mix it up. So I really enjoyed both fights. I kind of lean towards Scottney more of who I enjoy more watching, and if they were to fight early on, which I don't think that's the idea, but I'm sure down the road they should fight, I would lean towards Scottney unless anything changes. Um, the same night, or actually the same afternoon, from Puerto Vallarta, a pay-per-view from Fight TV was a little bit of a letdown when Sonia Osorio, the current interim WBC super flyweight champion, suffered a cut to her left eye in an accidental head clash against Southern California's Adelaila La Cobra Ruiz. In the second round, her, she was checked, and the doctor waved off the fight, and the fight was deemed a technical draw, David. So pretty disappointing finish to this fight that we were all looking forward to. It sure, it sure was because as a light, I know uh, she was pinning her, her hopes and dreams on that fight and to, to get that title, even though it was an interim title only, which I hate, but, uh, you know, she really wanted to, to get that title just to establish herself. And uh, I'm sure that was a big letdown. Hi, can you hear me? Breaking up. 
You're still breaking up. We're having some difficulties here right now. Uh, I know that Felipe uh, was going to talk about Jackie Nava. Go ahead. Uh, let me let me try. Go ahead and, and, and take the, the the baton and let me just connect a different way so that would be easier for us. Give me about two minutes. Okay. Well, we we were going to talk about Jackie Nava and Karina Fernandez. Uh, Karina Fernandez is the sister of uh, Diana uh, Fernandez, uh, both in uh, Chihuahua, or Juarez, and Juarez, Chihuahua. But anyway, uh, Jackie Nava scored a, a unanimous uh, points victory after 10 rounds. Uh, and, uh, of course, Jackie Nava is heading for the Hall of Fame. And Karina is a, is a very solid fighter. She's just not in that same level as Jackie Nava. We're talking hey, about the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, yes, sir, can, you, can you hear better? Okay, sorry about that. Before we move on to Jackie Nava, I was listening to what you were saying. Just real quick on that Sonia Osorio, Adelaide Reese fight. Um, I watched the fight. I watched it on that pay-per-view. And some of the people in Reese's camp, I'm not going to say Adelaide Reese, but some of the people in her camp, her promoters maybe, were kind of stating that Osorio didn't want to fight. She couldn't continue that fight. I mean, it was an accidental head clash. The blood was going into her eye. It was a pretty thick gash, pretty long. I heard Reese, I saw a post by Reese saying that she had seen fighters fight through with bigger cuts, maybe, but not in the position where it was in Osorio's over her eye. So I do believe that the fight should have been stopped um, at that point. I mean, it is what it is. That's part of boxing. It's the luck of the draw. I mean, there was an accidental head clash. I mean, it was just bad luck on both sides. And now that we'll be able to see it again. But I didn't agree with some of the comments from the Reese camp stating that that she could have gone on. That that cut happened in the first round, and for her to fight all of the fight, 10 rounds, it could have only gotten worse, and it could have put her eye in jeopardy, so I don't think that was a good idea. Um, moving on to the fight that you were mentioning, Jackie Nava scoring the United decision over Karina Fernandez, 100 to 90, 99-91, and 97-93. Karina Fernandez, the older sister of that, that, that Diana Fernandez, um, she gave a good account of herself, but Jackie Nava is just a better fighter, even she, even though she's 40 years old. And Jackie Nava actually stated recently that she wants to retire as a champion. So she's actually targeting the 122 WBC champion, Javilis Mercado, who was actually a guest commentator on that fight card on the Azteca channel in Mexico. And Mercado has stated that if given the opportunity, she'll be more than happy to defend against Jackie Nava, David. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. Especially uh, since uh, aren't they in rival promoters? No, they're actually under the same uh, the, the, under the same banner. Uh, Stanford Promotions. Oh, okay. Stanford Promotions has promoted Jackie Nava throughout most of her career. She started off with Box Latino of Eric Morales, and Jamilet Mercado is also under Stanford Promotions. Now, one thing that we do have to wait for is for Mercado to recover from a, a ruptured eardrum that she suffered in suffered in her last fight, which I think was late January, if not early February, when she faced Alejandra Guzman, defending for the first time that WBC Super Bantamweight title. So she is going through recovery of that ruptured um, eardrum, but she has started to run in her hometown of Cuauhtémoc, Chihuahua, uh, in northern Mexico. So we'll see how long we have to wait, because like we mentioned, Jackie Nava is on her last leg, she's 40 years old. She's mentioned in the last couple of legs, years, I'm sorry, that she would like to retire. So we'll see how long Jackie Nava is willing to wait. 
or if she t- ends up taking a fight in between and loses, which I think will put a halt to any uh, fight against Japanese Mercado. <clears throat> Lastly, from that March 20th super mega female fight uh, day from Dallas, Texas, on the zone, Senesa super bad Estrada from East LA scored a lopsided unanimous decision to capture the 105 WBA title over Anabel La Avispa Ortiz of Mexico City. Scores were 189 two times in 99-90. Estrada put Ortiz down early in the fight with a big right hand. And I think what happened, what we expected happened, David, but did you think it was going to be that easy for Sinez Estrada? I hate to say so, but yes, I did think it would be that easy. Well, no, I mean, as the fight got closer, I started thinking, I don't think uh, Amadeo can hang with uh, Sinisa. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know what, Sinisa's a little too big, experienced against bigger girls, and here she's fighting somebody who's really her own size, but she had, she had always been fighting bigger girls and, and dominating. So when it came down to it, yes, I expected Sinisa to dominate. Now, early on in the fight, Anabel Ortiz did have her moments. You know, she was able to land some punches. And I think her moments were possibly a little bit. Hello, you breaking up? Hello? We're having another uh, technical. Let me, Let me try the other things I was going to do, David. Go ahead and go ahead and, and, and give me about uh, one minute. I'm going to try the other thing right now. Okay, well, so in that fight with uh, Sinisa and Annabelle, uh, Annabelle, for, for people that don't know much about her, is she had uh, 12 title defenses uh, over the years, and, and uh, I think in eight years, and um, nobody had been able to topple her. But uh, Sinisa was actually fighting much heavier girls and winning pretty impressively. And finally she dropped down to her actual weight uh, to challenge uh, Annabelle Ortiz, and she was able to handle her pretty easily. And uh, it's not a discredit to Ortiz. She's very, very good. It's just that Sinisa is one of those uh, generational talents that come along every once in a while at that weight class. And uh, there's a couple of other girls that are very, very good at that weight. Uh, We'll see what happens when uh, Sinisa moves up another weight but I know she did mention she wants to unify. I don't know if she wants to unify at 105 or if she wants to unify at 108. It wasn't very clear to me uh, what she want, plans to do, but uh, I expect her to, to to attempt that. Felipe, are you back? Yes, Estrada. Yeah, I'm back. You're talking about Sinisa Estrada? Yes. Yeah, she actually yes, I was watching. I just, just to, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, she... Yeah, she did mention that she wanted to unify, but I wasn't sure if she meant 105 or 108. Well, just just right before the show, I was catching up with the fights with Amanda Serrano and the Eli Moutinho fight for Ring City, where we saw Sinesis try to be the guest commentator. And I think it was during the Eli Moutinho fight, she did clarify saying that she would like to unify at 105 first, then go up to 108 and unify there. And then once she's gotten those belts, she would be more than happy to go up to 112 and maybe even possibly face Arely Moussinho if Moussinho still at the weight class. 
Well, that would be great. That, that's an incredible uh, uh, challenge. Well, speaking of that, um, Ring City, March 25th, Thursday, fight card, Amanda Serrano scored an impressive ninth-round knockout over also top 10 pound-for-pound lady fighter Daniela Bermudez and a scheduled 126 pounds over 10 rounds or scheduled 10 rounds. Amanda Serrano defended the WBC and WBA titles while Daniela Bermudez is the current IBF. They stated IBF, but I think she's the WBO Bantamweight champion. Let me double-check here. Um, Super Bantamweight. Yeah, she's the IBF Bantamweight champion and the WBO um, Super Bantamweight, IBF, IBO, uh, Bantamweight, WBO, according to this. Um, who knows if that is still current, but with the WBO, uh, you never know. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a saying in, in, in boxing, David, and you know it better than I do, is that a good big fighter would always be a good smaller fighter. And I think that's what we saw uh, in this fight. We saw two current pound-for-pound top ten female fighters facing each other, and the bigger one with the advantage in speed and power and size, Amanda Serrano, was able to defeat the smaller, but still as good, Daniela Bermudez. Yes, I mean, that was an incredible fight. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed every moment of that fight. Was that, was that the end, David? Uh, I enjoyed every moment, every second of that that uh, confrontation. Uh, it was something that you know you rarely see, pound for pound versus pound for pound. It, we we saw it with Delphine and Katie Taylor twice, and we saw it with Clarissa and Christina Hammer. Although that one was one-sided, but in this case, uh, again, yeah, actually it was kind of one-sided with Amanda just uh, showing what she can do. Now, I think it's clear and safe to say, David, that the only, well, I wouldn't say the only competitive fight out there for Amanda Serrano is Katie Taylor, because I think at 130 pounds, I think that a fight against um, Mikaela Mayer could be pretty competitive, perhaps against Terry Harper, maybe even Maiva Hamadouche at 130 pounds. Obviously, we've been waiting for that Jelena Moranovich fight at featherweight, but we don't know if that's going to happen, although Serrano, after this fight, alluded to the fact that they're working on it, trying to make that fight. But I think that the only fight that we can really deem as competitive and where somebody can really put on a, a real competitive fight against Amanda Serrano is Katie Taylor. Would you agree with that? Or would you say that one of the fights against the super featherweight champs can be as competitive as a Katie Taylor fight. Yeah, I I think uh, definitely Katie Taylor's. You know, we're we're talking about the elite there, but I think there's some other fighters that could possibly uh, give uh, Amanda Serrano a, a a good fight, a good test. And um, I think even here in the the U.S., there's the, uh, aside from the champions, I think there's some other girls that are pretty good too. And and maybe um in Great Britain there's a, a couple other ones aside from Terry Harper at one thirty and, and uh in the uh, I forget her name, uh, Natasha Jonas. Well Natasha so, Jonas are all solid fighters. Against the, yeah, 
there's Natasha. Can you say she not because Natasha Jonas on May 1st? Right. That's her first, her next fight scheduled. So we'll see how that pans out. But yeah, I mean, it's around. I mean, I think she has proven that at 126 and lower, there's really nobody else that can give her a real challenge. I mean, we thought that Daniela Bermudez could be a fighter that could possibly be the best um, fighter from 122 on down. That it's close enough. I mean, obviously, she needs to is way too small to face an Amanda Serrano or somebody like that. But closer to 126, Bermudez is possibly the best fighter there that could give Amanda Serrano a challenge. And Amanda was able to dispatch her fairly easily. And, and excitingly enough, a good fight, but really not that competitive when it came down on paper. I mean, Amanda Serrano, even though the fight, the rounds were competitive, Serrano was winning practically every one of them, and um, and Bermudez just seems like too small and not skillful enough to be able to take on the southpaw Serrano. So, I mean, can we kind of mayor put on a fight? I think she can. I think Mava Hamadouche, I think Terry Harper. I don't think Hume Choi has what it takes, but I think the next fight, and I think the fact that needs to be made for Amanda Serrano to to have and win this fight, and then she could really go down as, some, as one of the best that has ever laced up the gloves would be Kay Taylor. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I would say so too. And there's a couple of Americans, several Americans like um, uh, Tiara Brown, uh, Alicia Baumgartner, who, who might be able to give her a challenge too. Hmm. Well, we are waiting for our special guest, who is. Mr. Zul Dibola is about to call any second, uh, and I hope he's going to tell us about his upcoming women's boxing series as well as some uh, updates on his vast female boxing stable. And I think he's on the line now. Let me patch him in. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, Mr. Dibola, how are you doing today? Good. And this is Steve from the Two Minute Rim. Wanted, uh, hey, wanted to welcome you to the show. I want to apologize that I'm a little late, but I, I had my COVID, my second COVID shot yesterday, and I've been like sort of half out of it today. So I, I fell asleep and, on the couch, and thank God I woke up and uh, I was only a few minutes late. But thank you. Good to be with you, and, uh, and I, I look forward to talking. Thank you, Mr. Javella. Well, I, I'm going to pass on the baton to Mr. David Avila. David, go right ahead. Dude, thank, uh, thanks for calling, and uh, I'm glad you got your second shot. How do you, you you say you feel a little woozy? Yeah, I mean, I feel much better now. I I, I didn't, you know, I had, I had a little bit of a weird night, and uh, and then today I just felt like tired, and I kept like sort of like nodding off, and I was getting ready to call you guys like 10:30, and I must have nodded off for for a minute, and I, 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 thankfully I my head my chin hit my chest, and I woke up, and and uh, and I, now I'm with you, so it's good to be talking to you. So, so we were discussing Amanda Serrano's uh, fight, uh, and and for for those that, that are unaware, uh, Mr. DeBella handles uh, Amanda's fights. He's a promoter. And Lou, what's what's it been like uh, going through this uh, journey with Amanda Serrano to get her to this point? Well, it's been a long road, and and, and honestly, look, look, it's it's a hard road for any American female fighter, and you know. At this moment in time, right now, it's a hard road for everyone, including, you know, the very top of of, of the, you know, of the pyramid. 
And and Amanda's had a Amanda's you know had to settle for not making a lot of money, winning title after title. But I sort of feel that right now she's got a lot of momentum, and I think the main event of of the Ring City, the new Ring City series being in Puerto Rico, um, it did it did one of the highest ratings that they've done since they started the series on NBC Sportsnet, and it was around the world on Twitch, you know the Twitch app, and apparently got a lot of views. Um, I think that that it was a great performance by Amanda. Um, Bermudez was one of the best opponents Amanda's ever fought, and actually fought like it. But you know, if you watch the fight, it was a much better fight than the, the shutout that that it, it was on paper. Um, I mean, Amanda won every round, I think. But but you know, Bermudez fought her heart out, and Bermudez was a terrific fighter. But I think that fight, more than any other fight of Amanda Serrano's career. Um, really underscores how excellent she is, how above, um, you know, there are levels in boxing. And, and, and I really truly believe she is at the top of the pound for pound list and has every much as right to say that she's pound for pound the best as Clarissa or Katie Taylor. So I, I think right now you have a debate involving three women. And I think if you really look at the resume carefully and, you know, if you go online right now, Copybox put out a lot of, you know, career stats comparable, co- comparing the top women in the world. And it was amazing how many times Amanda was at the top uh, of, of those statistical uh, standings. Um, you know, she's a great talent. And, and I think right now, um, we, we, you know, we're not, her natural weight class is 126. She jumped all over the place to, to, to create, you know, to make fights and win more titles and, and, and she's been able to win titles from 115 pounds to 140, but 126 is her perfect natural weight class. And at that weight class, there's nobody that can touch her, honestly. And, you know, I think that right now um, the agenda is to totally unify the featherweight division. Um, in order to do that, she has to beat the IBF champion from Denmark, Sarah Mahfoud, Um and also has to beat Jelena, um, the WBA champion. Um, and I think those are the two fights we would like to get done in 2021. And then at that point, Amanda would have every featherweight title, including the ring magazine belt. And that's a pretty good time, I think, to go after at that point in time to start looking at a, a fight with uh, Katie Taylor. But people have to understand, too, that, that Amanda jumps all around weight classes, but no one's demanding – that Katie Taylor jumped from 35 to 54 to fight a Clarissa Shields. And I don't think she would do that. I think she would think that she's simply not big enough. Um, but Amanda's, you know, people are sitting there, well, Amanda's ducking. No, you're not ducking someone who's two weight classes above you. Um, <laughs> and you're, you're particularly not ducking them when they want to pay you like a, an opponent as opposed to paying you like an equal that part of Amanda and, 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 and her manager Jordan's frustration was they felt previously that Amanda should be paid uh, as an equal. Now, that being said, Katie Taylor brings a lot of money from Ireland, a lot of money from England. But if you want to get the money equivalent, we have to go out there and build Amanda into as big a attraction as we can. And I think the way to do that is for her to totally unify at 26. I think that the rating the other night was sensational on TV we're not going to, I don't believe we're going to have a great problem of finding a, a, you know, a television home for Amanda's next fight. And, and I think that the agenda is for two undefeated 
totally unified ring magazine champions in two weight classes to fight in the biggest fight in women's boxing history. And I think when Serrano, Katie Taylor happens, it will be the biggest fight in women's boxing history. And, you know, Clarissa is a great fighter. I'm a huge fan of hers and her talent level. She's terrific. But there's not a talent pool at the higher weight classes in women's boxing. It's a very much, much thinner talent pool. It's, it's very, very thin. Um, each weight class you move above 54, it gets even thinner. And, but at featherweight, around the, the, the weight classes between, uh, you know, 22 and, and 30, there's a, a tremendous amount of talent. There's Katie Taylor sitting there as unified champion at 35. So I think the future is going to hold big things for Amanda. And I think right now, you know, Amanda just turned 31. Um, I think this is the moment in her career where she's starting to get the attention she truly deserves. The momentum is building. Um, and now it's got to pay off too. Look, there's no Amanda, – Amanda took that fight on, on Ring City against Bermudez, a fight between two top ten pound-for-pound women, and neither woman came, neither woman came close to making – $100,000. Neither woman came close to making $100,000, much closer to half of that. And at this point in Amanda's career as a, a multi-belt, you know, a woman that is only, I don't, she hasn't lost in years, but what is it, nine years since she lost the fight? She's got 40 wins, one loss, the highest knockout ratio in the history. I mean, I, I, the highest knockout ratio in women's boxing, one of the highest knockout ratios in all of boxing, and, um, you know, it's time for her to get paid. And this is prize fighting, and it needs to be prize fighting for women also. It's not just prize fighting for men. True. Very good point. But what does it say also, I mean, you have another featherweight in Heather Hardy who actually went the distance with Amanda Serrano, and after seeing what Amanda Serrano did to Daniela Bermudez, I mean, you got to feel kind of good, the fact that you actually have Heather Hardy in your stable, too. And they, she well, went to uh, with Amanda, Heather, too. I, I absolutely feel that way. And Heather is the first, you know, first woman fighter I ever signed to a long-term contract. But, you know, the thing about Heather is I realized how tough Heather was before the event. <laughs> Did you see that Heather fought that fight in MMA? Um and, and Bellator against the kickboxer. And she was kicked as hard as I've ever seen anyone kicked directly to her nose. I mean, mm. it was a brutal, like, it, it, it looked like her face exploded into a mask of blood. And she never went down. And, when, and they stopped the fight in the corner between rounds, but not because she wanted it stopped. And I said to myself that night, this woman is, a, like, just a physically strong person with such a tolerance for, you know, for, for pain and, and, and a chin, um, you know, Heather is a very tough lady, you know, and she had to be, she's had a lot of bumps and, and obstacles in her life. And, you know, she's a tough lady. A lot of these women, um, you know, man, female boxers don't lack toughness and, and it's sort of expected in a way because women are tough. I mean, men don't give birth. Can you imagine a man having something the size of a bowling ball coming out of their body? We're fucking compared to those ladies, man. We're we're you know, you know, we can say what we they can say what they want, but but uh, you know, women's tolerance for pain 
Um, and the warrior spirit in women is just as strong, if not stronger, than it is in men. You know, I I I love the direction women's boxing is going in now. I think the talent pools will continue to get deeper, but I also think we have to recognize where the talent pools are the strongest and make the best fights we can at those weights. You know, um, I'll always be interested in seeing Clarissa because of how good she is, um, but frankly, there's just not the same opportunity to make. Uh, wars and competitive fights that there are at the lower weight classes. Uh, yeah, there there doesn't seem to be like a, a huge amount, but there are some coming. I I see it in the amateur ranks. Uh, there's an army of uh, younger females that are are gearing up for Olympics, and there, I mean, there's an army, especially uh, this last couple of years. I've been watching it, so I'd say pretty soon she's going to have a lot of competition. So I, I'm, you know, I have a, an all women's card that was scheduled for April 22nd on UFC Fight Pass. Um, I haven't even, we haven't even announced this yet, but in the, you know, Heather Hardy's getting over a, an illness, so we've moved the fight a month later. So we're looking at two, you know, two dates in mid-May, and we'll be announcing the new date for the UFC Fight Pass all women's card in May. Um, well, you know, Heather missed well, a couple of weeks be of training. Heather- Still going to be the same exact matchups on the, on the card. So it's a terrific card. But, you know, the woman she's fighting, um, I think her name is Jessica Camera. The, the woman's yeah. a tough woman. I mean, that's not a foregone conclusion, the outcome of that fight. And, and I'm not going to send Heather in, you know, to that kind of fight uh, without an opportunity to be properly trained and, and at her best. So, you know, I told you, she asked me if it was possible to move the show. I contacted Fight Pass and, and the show is going to be moved and, We'll announce the new date and everything next week. Okay. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned some of the young talent. I have some of that young talent on that card. I have a, 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 a woman named um, Micaiah Kreps, who's managed by Jerry Cesares and, 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 uh, and champion Jamel Herring, who's fighting this weekend against Carl Crampton. Uh, Jamel manages, is the co-manager of Micaiah Kreps. Micaiah is a terrific talent. Um, and, and, you know, she's on the card against a woman who, another woman who was a top amateur, Alex Love. And, and that's a terrific matchup between two young female fighters recently who recently came out of the amateurs who are, you know, pretty equally matched in what should be a really, you know, competitive battle. And, uh, and there's a lot of talent coming up. I just signed a, a woman from Canada. I, I signed her uh, with Lee Baxter. We're co-promoting her. Lee has a promotional company in Toronto. Amanda Gale, um, and and Amanda's a, a, a terrific talent. I mean, a future world champion. So I, there is plenty of talent on the horizon, and there's more and more women who are amateurs, you know, who have a desire to turn pro. But we need to keep creating more opportunities because right now there aren't enough slots and there aren't enough opportunities to keep women busy in this country. I mean, I have 340-pound female champions waiting for fights right now. Um, you know, and, and, and there's just a lack of enough, you know, there's a lack of sufficient television and streaming dates for the ladies. And, and that does have to change. And I'm actually grateful for UFC Fight Pass for creating like a little series where we're going to do a quarterly show with all females. And, and I think that kind of, of platform needs to be more common in boxing. We need more dedicated. It doesn't have to be all women shows but dedicated mm-hmm. slots for women's shows. I mean, I'd really like to see, you know, if, 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 if there's going to be a three or four 
fight or televised card that there's a woman's fight on every card or that there's at the very minimum there's a woman's fight on every card even if it's uh, you know on an, on an on, you know an undercard but but right now like having to scramble to get that one odd slot for a female here or there um that doesn't encourage all those women that are learning the craft in gyms all over the country it doesn't encourage women who are amateurs to turn pro um, because it's, you really have to love it to be a female professional fighter in the United States because everything is stacked against you. Yeah, I think it's getting close. So I think we're getting really close. I was really uh, inspired by this last month in March where we had more female fights on, on different media outlets than ever before. I've never seen that happen before. I've been covering women's boxing no, it was for a great more than 25 years. Yeah, but it was, but, but a lot, but you know what? Don't credit the, don't credit the fucking shitty media, uh, you know, uh, attention to women. Don't credit, don't credit networks or streaming services with what happened that month. You know, th- that was women making sacrifices to make sure mm-hmm. they were televised. Now it was great that, that, um, uh, Sinesta was, was on a uh, zone. That was a good fight. Um, and, and, you know, but, but, but consider that the pay-per-view fight between uh, Clarissa and Decorey, they had to do their own pay-per-view to make the fight happen. Right. There wasn't a single place they could do that fight. And also consider that, you know, I went to Jordan Maldonado, the manager for, uh, of uh, Amanda, and Amanda, um, with an idea to fight Erica Cruz Hernandez on Ring City. Um, Erica Cruz Hernandez, I think, is going to fight in a few weeks, actually, against Jelena on Ring City. But that was the first name I brought to them because I didn't bring them the name of Diana Bermudez because there's a limited budget at Ring mm-hmm. City, and I frankly didn't think the fight could economically be made there. And Amanda Jordan said, we want to fight Bermudez. You know, get us at least X dollars. You know, and they gave me a number, and it was not a high number. It was a number well below... Amanda's value against another pound-for-pound woman. But they said, if you can get me that number, we'll fight Bermudez on Ring City. And, and the reason was that Amanda and Jordan knew that they could, you know, they didn't want to fight another opponent that someone would just say, okay, she's just fighting an ordinary woman. They wanted to make a point of fighting an excellent fighter. You know, they, we tried to get Jelena. There, was, there wasn't enough money in that. Jelena didn't want to do the fight. Uh, we, 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 you know, we looked at other people. We probably could have done something with Erica Cruz Hernandez. But we were able to do a deal with Diana Bermudez, who's one of the best fighters ever out of Argentina. And if you watch the fight, you saw the skill level in that fight on both sides was at the high end of women's boxing, uh, pretty much as high as it gets. And the performance by Amanda was stunning, in my view. I mean, you don't see a woman knock out another woman very often in boxing. It just doesn't happen. And it has zero to do with the length of rounds. And people who think it should be three-minute rounds are wrong because all you're going to do is you're going to create longer fights that are less active, that have less action. Not going to result in more knockouts. Not going to result in a better product. Not going to result in women making more, more money. Part of the joy of watching women's boxing right now is you sit there and you watch a women's fight from beginning to end. And unless the woman's not capable or not in shape, and that's very rare, both of those. Well, not capable is a little bit less rare than not in shape. Um, Women throw down for the entirety of the fight. If it's a 10-round fight, 
women are throwing down for 20 minutes in that fight. And when you saw the fight between Diana Bermudez and Amanda, Amanda averaged over 75 punches around, and Diana averaged over 60 punches around. And if you, you, you extend that out, Diana averaged pretty close to 100 around, and Amanda averaged well above 100 around. And, you know, if it was a three-minute round, because it's a two-minute round. But you're, but you're not going to get the action in a three-minute round that you get in a two-minute round. I think what we have to look at if we want to make any changes or adjustments to increase the popularity and marketability of women's boxing, and this is something I'm going to start um, looking into and discussing with neurologists and, and doctors. I have a, I've already made a few phone calls and, and read some, some support, supporting literature. Um, I think the idea would be to make the gloves smaller for women. Right now, women are using the same gloves that men are using. And my thought would be in the smaller weight classes, you know, to use six-ounce gloves. And when you get into the higher weight classes, to use uh, eight-ounce gloves as opposed to eights mm. and tens. Mm, and I think if you, do, if you do that, you're going to get the best of both worlds because you're going to get the same level of activity and the smaller gloves may give you a greater chance at knockouts without making the fights more dangerous because smaller gloves inherently are safer than the bigger gloves, at least with respect to head injury. Maybe you get cut more with smaller gloves, but cuts don't kill you in a ring, you know? Um, so I, I, I think that, that that's something that's, you know, one possible change that I, I think could be positive for women's boxing. Oh, that's an interesting uh, thought. Yeah, I, although I'm still in favor of three-minute rounds. And uh, my counter to what you're saying is when Sinisa Estrada fought Marlon Esparza, that was that actually packed for three minutes each round. Okay, well, that, that's wonderful. But most of them wouldn't be like that. And, and by the way, I mean, I'll give you an, another example. Claressa doesn't have tremendous power. Do you want to see Claret, all Claressa's fights extended by a minute around? It, it, well, and, and by the way, pe- women, you, people in general, the men take time off during their, their three-minute rounds a lot. I think that, frankly, you'd have a more television-friendly – I mean, uh, I'm not in favor of it because I am a bit of a purist, but you'd have a better product if it was two-minute rounds in men's boxing. And, 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 and by the way, if television networks, David – and streaming services mm-hmm. aren't willing to give women slots when they have two-minute rounds, and their fights are, are 33% shorter than the men's fights, and even shorter than that because we don't do 12-round fights, we do 10s, and when we do an ordinary fight for women, we often do 8s. Why do you think they're going to give more time to women for longer fights? True. They're not. Yeah, that's a good idea. They're not. They're, yeah. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea in every way from a business end, to a boxing end. You know, people always think that because women, it's not going to bring more attention because it's not going to make the fight better. It really isn't. I mean, yes, that, 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 that Estrada fight that you're talking about had a lot of action in three-minute rounds, but, but, you know, there's a lot of women's fights where neither woman can break an egg, and, and if they're not fighting at the highest skill level, it's sort of 20 minutes of the same thing. I don't need to see 30 minutes of the same thing. And if you had three-minute rounds, there's zero reason, zero, to think it's going to appreciably change the knockout ratios of women. Zero reason to think that. Because the knockout ratios of women are so low compared to the knockout ratios of men. And I think far more of that has to do with some just physical strength and size than it does mm-hmm. with 
the, the length of the round. Like I said, I, I think the size of the decreasing the size of the glove, and you've seen that you get you get more knockouts in women's MMA, you get more stoppages by percentage in women's MMA fights than you do in in boxing matches, women's boxing matches. Um, I think the small size of the glove is not the non-existent, the little glove in MMA. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is a factor in increasing that percentage of stoppages. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point about the smaller gloves. Never thought of that before. But actually, in the fifties, uh, gloves were smaller for for men. And you know, well, gloves should be smaller factor. for men. This is a whole other discussion. But gloves should be smaller for men anyway. I mean, you know, neurologists have been saying that forever because it's not like it's it's a consistency of punishment, but it's really a consistency of your brain moving around in your head and hitting your skull that causes brain injury. And a bigger glove results in the head moving more when it's hit because the size of the mass, the, 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 just the larger glove um, does more, move, creates more movement in the head when, when you hit. A smaller glove, is, it's a more direct shot, maybe a bit of a harder shot, but not the kind of shot that's as likely to cause concussion. And you, have, you do have fewer concussions caused by head blows and fewer head injuries in MMA than you have in boxing. You have different types of injuries. You can have spinal injuries and back injuries and all sorts of injuries in MMA, a lot of, a lot of blood and a lot of stitches, but you have far fewer fatalities in MMA than you do in boxing. And the, the reason is uh, a, a greater infrequency of serious concussion and head injury. Okay. Lou, I'm, I'm going to pass you on to Felipe. I know he has some questions for you that have been dominating the conversation here. Felipe, are you there? Hey, hey, uh, Mr. DeBella, how are you doing? Do me a favor, Felipe, Lou. Mr. DeBella, to me, is still my late dad. So uh, I'm Lou. Yeah. Okay, Lou. Okay, Lou. Um, I'm, just, I'm Michigan, so we're taught to uh, respect our elders, but if you insist, I'll call you Lou. Um, now, going back to the purses for Amanda Serrano and Daniela Bermuda, you said that it was a little bit more, it wasn't close to 100000 closer to 50000 Um, But did you find that it was less than the average of what Ring City has been paying for the main event on their Oh, court? no, 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 no. I, I actually, it was not. And in fact, it was actually, and, and this is, that, that's a really good question, Felipe. This is important clarification. I'm really glad you asked me that question. It was actually probably the most expensive fight that Ring City bought. And I want to commend Ring City for that. They went to the, the highest levels of their budget to make the best women's fight they could make. And you know what? Like, I'm not saying it's not Ring City's fault at all. They, they paid, you know, against what else was out there in the marketplace right now. They went, you know, they paid um, what they could pay, the most they could pay. And frankly, I've had men, the, the majority of men I've had fight on Ring City so far. In fact, not the majority. Every single one of them made less than Amanda made on Ring City. But Amanda fought, Amanda, a top, you know, three pound-for-pound woman, fought a top ten pound-for-pound woman. And, um, and, and Ring City paid for it to the best of their ability. I'm more referring to the inequity in the whole marketplace. 
two of the best pound for pound men fight. No way in the world, and, and they're in a normal weight class. No way in the world they're not making seven figures. A, a woman champion, a female champion, fighting a unification or fighting a top top opponent, fighting a pound for pound opponent. That woman should know that that six figures are there for her. That the marketplace, you know, supports uh, a female champion being figure payday. Professional prize fighters at, at a championship level don't fight three times a year, and and uh, you know more often they fight two times a year. And a lot of the biggest money guys, men, seem to be happy fighting one time a year. So it's not like if you can't make as a great champion, if you can't make at least $100,000, you know, defending your title or fighting another top woman, it's not prize fighting for you. It's, it's, it's a low-paying job. And Amanda Serrano is past the point of having a low-paying job. You know, she's right to say, I don't want to get in the ring anymore if I'm not paid fairly. But I think that, that, that we, the move to fight on Ring City you know, it was perfect because, you know, the setting was beautiful. It was an outdoor setting in Puerto Rico and old San Juan. Amanda's a very proud Puerto Rican. She's right now Puerto Rico's greatest prize fighter, man or woman, active. Um, and Ring City, Ring City extended to try to be as fair as they Now, one thing that we saw, and we you're the inside of this situation because you're her promoter. But one thing that we saw is in Clarissa Shields last fight, she was fighting for the vacant super WBA super welterweight champion while your fighter, Anna Gabriels, is the regular champion. What was the whole what was the whole idea of that? Why wasn't Anna Gabriels elevated to super champion and Clarissa Shields fighting for the regular title and then maybe down the road Clarissa needs to challenge Anna Gabriels for that super uh, title. Any insight that you could give us in that situation? You know, men's boxing and women's boxing are different in many ways. And in a lot of those ways, the women hope would hope that they can get to where the men are. But when it comes to decisions that involve titles, belts, and ratings organizations, the, the men and the women are both, both of the same boat. And what, what is the factor that most determines how a ratings organization, decisions that ratings organizations make? It's the money. And Claresta, by far, is the biggest economic draw. Well, even now, when she doesn't have a network supporting her like Showtime did, and she's looking for a home, she's still one of the biggest names in women's boxing. And I think that basically it was, you know, in deference to, to uh, Claresta being – you know, widely considered the, you know, number one, you know, best woman or certainly in the top few and, uh, and her star power. I, I, I think that's why it was done. But I'll tell you that I believe that um, I, I know that Clarissa has a lot of respect for Hannah. And, uh, and I know that Hannah's one last serious goal is another opportunity to try to beat Clarissa. So I think that fight will uh, inevitably happen. I can't tell you what weight class it's going to happen at, but I can tell you that, that Hannah will do whatever she can to get that rematch, no matter what weight she has to go to do it. Now, staying with Hannah Gabriels, she just recently announced that she's going to be fighting for the vacant WBA light heavyweight title. 
on April 17th in your hometown of Costa Rica. Why jump so high? And did you advise her against her? Why not go after a 160 or 168? I think a, fra- a fight against Franchon Cruz, even at 168, it's a great fight for her. Did you advise her against this, or do you see it as a good idea to fight for a 175-pound title? I left it up to her. And, and look, the other reality is that it's, she's a mom. She's got kids. Uh, it's, it's still the, the, the tail end of the pandemic with a lot of travel restrictions and difficulties. So she's, you know, her manager, Hector Fernandez and Hannah said, hey, I think we'd like to fight at home again. Um, I also think you got to remember, if you, you can fight for the light heavyweight title, doesn't mean Hannah's going to walk into the ring at 175. It just means she's going to walk in the ring above 168. Right. Um, I also think that maybe I have a pretty good idea of what Hannah's probably thinking. And I think what she also may be thinking is that fighting Claressa at a catch weight or the light heavyweight title might be a way to entice Claressa in the ring because it's a new weight class for Claressa to try to go after. Now, can you give us some updates on a couple of your other fighters under the Lou Gabella banner? Tara Brown, Christina Lina Dartu, Mary McKee, Raquel Miller? Not really. Not at the moment. Um, I, I don't have anything formal to announce for anybody. I mean, there's, you know, the women you're mentioning are all that, that have a lot of pedigree and need to get paid to fight. And, you know, there, you know, I, where there's no TV and no crowds and no ability to sell tickets, you, where do you get the money? You get television money. So some of the reason why these women are inactive is not only it's, – it, it's not that I'm keeping them that way. It's that the alternatives to fight to make a living aren't really there right now. So until things open up and we can make money from a gate, there's not money for these ladies to get. Now, Mary, uh, you know, I, I, I'm doing the old women's show, and it's going to be April 22nd, now it's in May. There'll probably be another one over the summer. You'll certainly see uh, one or more of my female champions defend their belts over the summer. Um, but I have nothing at the moment. You know, right now, in the New York area, you still can't use a venue of 1,500 or less. And even like, I'll give you an example of how bad things are in New York for sports. The Mets are opening next week. The Yankees open today. They open, the Mets are opening with a total possible audience in an outdoor stadium of 8,000 people, which is 10%, uh, 8,000 people, 20% occupancy, and you need people to be spread out. Those people also need to have evidence that they received both of their vaccinations longer than two weeks ago or, or a current uh, negative test for COVID in order to buy a ticket to go to the event. So there aren't impossible for me to do a Broadway boxing or a, 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 a fight pass card or something. I, I can't do an all-women's card or any kind of boxing card in New York State right now. So, you know, you know, yeah, I, 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 there have been fights offered to some of my female fighters, but they didn't feel it was worth going through, uh, you know, the months of preparation to fight a fight for, for low dollars. Now, my last question, Lou, is, uh, you know, you know, with your work with HBO and, and beyond that, you're no, 
you're no uh, uh, stranger to the pay-per-view. We mentioned with David that pay-per-view that, Christi- uh, that uh, Clarissa Shields headlined early uh, last month. Do you think that's a viable option for female boxing to get the attention it, it, and perhaps it, it's the a, purses? It's a, shitty, it's a shitty, terrible option for women's boxing. It's an awful option for women's boxing because pay-per-view decreases drastically the number of eyeballs watching the fight. And women, women's boxing needs exposure. It doesn't need it, – it needs exposure. I support what Claressa and Mark Taffet and Dimitri did by doing that pay-per-view because they, ne- they could not have made that fight otherwise. There was no one else to buy it. Do I think you may see more female – yes, and I might do one of them eventually – you may see them if, we're, if we don't get the support we need in terms of getting more, you know, platforms that are dedicated to women's boxing. If we don't get them, when we have crowds and you can sell a full arena, when you can sell a full, when Claressa can go to Flint, Michigan, and go to a 4,000-seat or 5,000-seat room and sell it out, there's money to be made there. And then you do the pay-per-view and everyone can get paid without it doing big business. The problem is that we want people to see our best fighters. We want people to see Claressa. You can do 50,000 homes and a nice little crowd and make a lot of money. But what's 50,000 homes for the exposure worldwide of women's boxing? It's nothing. So I hope that pay-per-view doesn't become a regular thing for women's boxing. Maybe, God willing, in a decade, some form of pay-per-view distribution can be uh, you know, a major revenue thing for women. Um, but women's boxing has to become more accepted and more desired, and women have to become bigger stars for the pay-per-views to make sense. Claressa and, and her promotional and management team did the Decorey fight on pay-per-view because it was their only viable choice, and I applaud them for that. But, it, but that kind of a, an event doesn't grow women's boxing. Well, Lou, thank you for being on the show with us. As always, it's a great time having you here. You always give us breaking news, which you did today, in the announcing that you're pushing back the date for Heather Hardy's fight, and she had a little bit of an illness to May, and all the other insights you gave us tonight. We hope you feel better from that second uh, vaccination, and we hope to hear you uh, have you here soon uh, with more news. Well, I, you know, I thank you. I, I, I thank you both. I thank you. I thank David. Thank you for the attention you try to bring to the ladies in our sport who deserve it so much. And uh, I'm happy to be with you uh, anytime. It's also good because I enjoy the give and take with you guys. We don't agree on everything, but I think we, uh, we, sh- we share the same desire to see women's boxing uh, grow to be more successful and accepted uh, by boxing fans and sports fans. So thank you for having me, and I look forward to talking to you guys in the future. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Lou. Have a good night. Take care. And there you have it, folks. Mr. Lou Cabela, uh, president of Cabela Entertainment, and obviously former HBO Sports head honcho. A little bit of a good. He's always he has very strong opinions. He's always been a a firm. That's the thing about Lou. He's, he he always stands by his convictions. He's always been a firm opposer of the three-minute round, and he gave some compelling arguments today of oh, yeah. why it's not a good idea for uh, for the three-minute round.
seminars and all that, quite honestly. I mean, he's talking about, you know, about the economic impact of a three-minute round of female boxing and how much. Exactly. It, see, that's the, argue, that's the argument that female boxers have. It's like, hey, well, if they, if they want us to fight three-minute rounds, they got to pay us more. Well, you gave us a, a firm argument of why they wouldn't get paid more, you know? And also, he's also, he's always stated the fact that the two-minute round is not TV-friendly. And also, even mentioned that even if, I mean, obviously it's not going to happen, but if they moved a, a, a male fight to a two-minute round, we would believe that it would be more compelling television because it would have to be a faster, a faster, faster action fight for it to, for them to be able to um, score punches in two minutes, David. Yeah, no, those arguments are always compelling. I mean, you really can't uh, uh, blame him for his, his own philosophy. Uh, we have our philosophy, he has his, but he does give a good argument. Now, we, we talked in our fight chatter, going back to our, I mean, our fight results, we talked about that Amanda Serrano on the same card from Puerto Rico, Arely Monsignor saw action for the first time in nearly two years, former four-time Flyweight champion, she scored a unanimous decision over Lucia Hernandez and an eight-rounder at 115 pounds. The scores there were 80-71 three times. And lastly, on Saturday, March 27th, the pink Tyson, Kalia Caroni, scored a, I think it was a seventh-round TKO over Diana Gonzalez. Time there was 123 to score the vacant WBC international title. That was in Tijuana, Mexico. In the fight chatter, we touched the subject with with uh, Mr. Lou Bella, it was announced earlier this week, regular WBA Super Welterweight Champion Anna Gabriels of Costa Rica will take on Marta Lara Gaitan of Mexico for the vacant WBA light heavyweight title on April 17th, San Juan Jose, Costa Rica. That will be the first fight for Gabriels in 
more natural to his weight class than Anna Gabriel. So we'll see what happens. That's going to be on April 17th in San Jose, California. Our next show is scheduled for April 15th, two days before the fight card. So if we have information on that date regarding where you could catch this Anna Gabriel's fight, there might be a stream available. We'll make sure that we tell you all about it on our next show scheduled for April 15th. Now, our upcoming calendar, the next two weeks are not as busy as the last two weeks, but there are still some notable fights to mention. On Sunday, April 4th, from Osaka, Japan, Kaori Nagai takes on Natsuki Taru in a six-rounder for the Japanese national atomweight title. The reason that we mentioned this card is because besides that fight, there's five more female bouts scheduled on Sunday, which is kind of, the Japanese do about an all-female card about once or twice, maybe even three times a year, and this is one of them. And then also, on the same day, David, and at the same venue in the, by the same promoter, there's another card announced between Tenkei Tsunami against Yoni Ogata in a scheduled 10-rounder for the WBO Junior Flyweight title. So it's kind of strange that the promoter's going to do two separate cards. I don't know why they didn't just put it under one card. A, I don't know what the rules are. It's not the same promoter. It's not the same promoter. Okay. Okay, so I'm The, the first card is a promoter. Listed. Yeah, and uh, the second card uh, is um, it's not that person does not really have a promoter's license and is using the first promoter's license and they're sharing ah, okay, the so revenue. The license. Right. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, well, good enough. So I knew you were going to have the answer to that. And uh, so there you go. So we have two separate, well, one's an all-female fight card, and then the second one is headlined by a female fight between Tenke Tsunami the 108 WBO champion defending against Yoni Ogata on this Sunday, April 4th. And on Saturday, April 10th, from the United Kingdom, we have Shannon Courtney taking on Australia's Ebony Bridges and a scheduled 10-rounder for the vacant WBO 118-pound title. And Savannah Marshall defending her WBO middleweight title, well, I'm super middleweight title, against Firmke Hermans. That's going to be on the zone on Saturday, April 10th. We all know that Ebony Bridges took. She had just had a fight in Australia. At the end of that fight, she had about a day off. She got on a plane to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she's doing her camp. Because she took on the late replacement place of Rachel Barr, who had COVID. And now Ebony Bridges has the opportunity for her first world title against Shannon Courtney on April 10th, David. I think that's going to be a pretty good fight. Not because these two ladies are off the charts skill-wise, but they're they're pretty close in record and experience. And I think that always makes for a good fight. Yeah, looking forward to both those fights. Uh, I think uh, they're worth watching. Um, uh, those world title fights. Um, I, I am curious to see how uh, Ebony does against Shannon Courtney. Well, it goes to mention as well in the second fight, which is a Savannah Marshall fight, is that obviously it's no secret on this show that Savannah Marshall has been pushing fairly hard for a face-off against Clarissa Shields. Obviously, we all know the story. Savannah Marshall is the only woman to ever beat Clarissa Shields at a amateur world championship. And she has nev- Savannah Marshall has never let Clarissa Shields forget it. And she's vying for a fight. And Femke Hermes has actually faced 
Clarissa Shields back in 2018, and she went the distance with her at 160 pounds um, back in 2018. So if Savannah Marshall wants to make a statement, she really has to go. Actually, this is for the WBO. This is for the 160-pound title. I, 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 I was confused. I thought that, that Savannah Marshall was super middleweight, but she's actually the middleweight WBO champion. She won the title, the vacant title, with a seven-round TK over Anna Ranking back in October. So she's going to be making her first defense against Femke Herman. So this fight is actually a lot more of a yardstick than I imagined, thinking that she was a super middleweight. So if Savannah Marshall wants to make a statement, she would have to stop Femke Herman before the distance so that she could say, hey, Shields, you went the distance with Herman. I knocked her out. I'm better. Let's fight. Do you agree, David? Uh, no, because it's styles make fights. Um, if Savannah Marshall doesn't knock up Femke Herman, I'll be surprised. Let's put it that way. <laughs> So, going on your premise that styles make fights, you think that Savannah Marshall has a style that's more uh, open to scoring knockouts, more so than Clarissa Shields? Uh, I think it's more that Femke Hermans has that she she's tailor-made for, for Savannah Marshall, whereas against uh, Clarissa Shields, she was, she was on survival mode. But she can't do that against uh, Savannah. She can't do that against Savannah Marshall because that's it's just their style. I mean, that's it's just a perfect match. Savannah's gonna just to me, I think, gonna blow her out. Well, folks, like we mentioned, our next show is on April 15th, where we're gonna be talking about these: the Savannah Marshall against the Sermer Herman, the Shannon Courtney against Beverly Bridges. See, we catch the stream of the Japanese fight between uh, Tsunami, uh, 10K Tsunami, defending against uh, another Japanese fighter for the WBO Lightweight Champion. That's a fighter that Sinise Strata would like to unify against sometime in the near future. And also, any other news that pops up in the female fight world, we would like to thank Mr. Lou DeBella for being here with us on the show. Always a great interview. And we want to say a quick hello to our co-host, uh, Lupe Gutierrez, who couldn't be with us tonight. And with that said, from Mr. David Ayala I'm Felipe Leon, and we wish you a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.